Turn once again in the Bible to Genesis at chapter 24. I've been going through Genesis in the Elkhurst Park evening services. So when I suddenly was getting texts on Thursday, could I come and preach? This was a sermon that I already had ready at hand. So Genesis chapter 24, I'm going to resume reading where we broke off before in the middle of verse 33. I'm going to read at the end of the chapter. Please give your attention to the word of God from Genesis 24, beginning now in verse 33. Abraham's servant said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And Laban said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah My master's wife bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife from my son, from my family, and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, Behold, I stand by the well of water. And it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. She went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists, and I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. and Let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. 
And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, where he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now that is the longest chapter in Genesis. Think about that. In Genesis, the longest chapter is not about creation and it's not about the flood. It's not about the fall. It's not about the covenant with Abraham. The longest chapter in Genesis is about how Isaac and Rebekah got married. Now, people love love stories. In fact, I recommend, if you're sitting around with some older couple, ask them how they got together. It's a great way to get to know people. It's entertaining. It's fun. You can see the older couple teasing each other and going back in their memories. You also will notice, if you do this more than once, that there is no pattern or no set way that this happens. The attempt to say there has to be a, a way that people get together is contrary to Scripture and doomed to fail. But that's speaking in a human way. Humans love love stories, so we have a long one. But this is God's word. Why did God preserve such a long chapter about how Isaac and Rebekah got married? I mean, kingdoms were rising and falling at this point in history, and the Bible scarcely notices them. But you get 67 verses on how Rebekah got to marry Isaac. Why is this? Well, God spoke to reveal himself. He spoke to reveal the way that he saves us. He spoke to tell us his promises and how he has kept them. He spoke to call us out of darkness and into relationship with himself that we may be saved from our own sins and the consequences on that. And for Isaac to get married was essential to the working out of his promises and his plans. This was, in fact, the central thing going on in the world at that time because of what God's promises were. And since his hand was evident in it, therefore, he gives us this important story of how he worked things out so that his plan and his promises come to pass so we can know that the Lord is to be trusted and we are to entrust ourselves to him. We see at the beginning of the chapter, which we read earlier, that God had kept his promise and Abraham had one thing left to do. 
It began by saying the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And that means that God had kept his promise back in chapter 12 when he first called Abraham, when he said, get out of your country, I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. He had promised to bless Abraham. And so now the scripture reports that it was mission accomplished. The Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Now, beloved, please notice this. This does not mean that Abraham had had an easy life. This does not mean that Abraham had faced no trials. No, if you read the intervening 12, 13 chapters, you see what Abraham had faced. He had faced famine. He had faced war. He had had to send one son away. Then when he was down to one son, he was told to sacrifice that son. He'd lost his wife to a harem twice, his fault, but he still had lost her. He'd had an excruciatingly difficult life in many respects. But it says the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Well, what do we make of that? Well, the blessed life is not the easy life. The blessed life is not the life where everything has gone the way we wanted it to at each step and each turning in the road. If God is with us, that is a blessed life. If God has kept his promises to us, that is a blessed life. Though we go and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if the Lord is with us, that is a blessed life. God had kept his promise. Abraham was blessed in every way. And his remaining job was to see that his son was married well. Now you might wonder why this is Abraham's job and not Isaac's job. If you read Genesis, you'll see it's done both ways in Genesis. Sometimes the parents arrange for the wife, and sometimes the young man finds his own wife. You find it happening both ways. You don't see much of a pattern there. But Isaac had no connections to anybody eligible. Isaac was living in the promised land surrounded by pagans and all those pagans were disqualified twice. First, they did not know the Lord and were never to marry outside of the faith. But secondly, Abraham and Isaac knew that the Lord was going to give them this land, meaning he was going to dispossess all these surrounding people so you can't intermarry with them because now how, this is, how is this going to work? If the Lord's going to dispossess and you've mingled the two seeds. But Isaac, of course, having been born recently in the promised land, he had no connections back to Mesopotamia, where the family was and those who knew the Lord. So with no connections of his own, he was dependent, in this case, on his father to arrange for him to get married. And so as we see, Abraham calls his oldest servant, the one he trusts. He says, you will swear that you're going to carry this out. And the servant thinks about it and asks a question before he takes an oath, he says, yeah, you want me to go hundreds of miles by camel to bring a woman back hundreds of miles by camel to marry a guy that she's never seen. You know, there's just a certain amount of possibility that she won't do that. So what takes precedence? Do I take your son to the woman or do I keep your son in this land and leave the marriage up to God? And Abraham says, Leave the marriage up to God. God gave us this land. The land takes precedence. God will have to work it out if this is not God's plan. Once he knew 
what the oath entailed, then he took the oath. So, of course, then we see some details that show what is meant by the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. The servant takes 10 of his master's camels. Wow. Not the 10 camels, just 10 of the camels. All right. And he loaded them up with all kinds of gifts and precious things. Okay. That means he also took 6, 8, 10, or 12 men with him to protect this caravan. All right. This is quite a household. All right. So we see, all right. This is what's meant. And they go to the place. And then the servant asked God, well, he prayed a very specific prayer. He said, God, I'm here to get a wife from my master's family for my master's son. God, I ask you this. I'm going to go up to each woman who comes out to draw water, and I'm going to ask for a drink. And let the woman that you chose be the one who doesn't just give me a drink, but who says, drink, and I will get water for your camels also. Now, you will recall that there were 10 camels. I don't know if you've seen a camel, but they're big. One camel can drink a lot. 10 camels will drink a whole lot. And she's only going to be so big herself with her pitcher on her shoulder. So when she volunteers to give water for 10 camels after their long walk, she's signing up for quite a job. That's not going to be one trip down to the well to fill up that pitcher once. I don't know how many trips down and back it's going to be, but I'm guessing, I don't know, 20, 20 trips down and back, 30 trips. She's going to be, she, if she's, whatever woman signs up to water those camels is signing up for a job. So that's the point of the servant's prayer. Let the woman who is so generous, so hospitable, so alert, so willing to serve, that she says, yes, my Lord, and I will give water to your camels as well. Let that woman be the one that you've chosen for my master's servant. Now, before we go any further, let's ask the question. Are we supposed to pray quite like this? I mean, you go to the international conference to find a wife. Are you supposed to sit by the, by the water fountain and say, Lord, let the, you know, is this how we normally are going to operate in our prayer lives? Well, I think probably not. I think we should pray for God to bless us, to give us wisdom, to give us protection, to give us guidance. But I think usually we're not to pray quite so prescriptively to God about how to work out our specific plan. What's going on here with the servant is two things. One, he is very conscious that he is Abraham's servant and God has made certain crucial promises to Abraham. He knows that God has promised Abraham that his descendants will inherit the land. That means Abraham has to have descendants. That means Isaac has to get a wife. So he knows that God has to work this out somehow. He doesn't know if it's going to be this way, but he does know that God is committed to a married Isaac. And since he knows that, he feels emboldened to pray so specifically. Furthermore, we notice this. When God answers this bold and specific prayer, it makes his appeal to Rebecca a lot more powerful. So Rebecca comes out. And as readers, we are instantly told that she is from the right family and that she is eligible. 
But he didn't know that. All he knew was that a young woman was coming out with a pitcher. So what does the scripture tell us about her beyond the things that, beyond telling us things that he didn't know, what does it tell us that he did know? Well, it says, the young woman was very beautiful to behold. Why does it say that? I mean, she was, okay, but why else does it say that? Well, it says that because first of all, that's the first thing he could see. And for far too many men, that's all they can see. Far too many men, talk to him, what do you want in a wife? Well, she has to look good. Okay, you know that's going to fade over time, right? That's all that you want? Far too many men, that's, that's like all they can see. And the servant here is asked for better, more important qualities in a wife. He hasn't asked that she be beautiful. He's asked that she be hardworking, hospitable, alert, willing to help out. And because he's asked for the better things, God throws in the beauty as an extra. I'm reminded of Solomon. Solomon, early on as being a young king, God comes to him in a dream, and he says, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon, as a young man, says, Lord, you've made me king of your great and numerous people. I'm just a young man. Please give me wisdom so I can do the job that you've given me. And God says, that is a great prayer request. You didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for long life. You didn't ask for victory. You asked for wisdom. Because you've asked for the best thing, I give you wisdom and I give you all the other things on top of it. And I think you see something similar here. The servant asks for something more important. He gets the beauty thrown in as a bonus. And Rebecca does as the man had prayed. And it says, and he looked at her in silence so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. She says, drink, my Lord. I will get drink for your camels, all 10 of them. And probably by implication for the six, eight, 10, or 12 men you have along as well. I will go down and up and down and up and down and up with my pitcher, because I've got the pitcher. And it's our city's well, and this is how we do things here. I will get you the water. And he gazes at her in silence. And then he gives her a present before asking who she is. I used to wonder if he was jumping the gun here, but I think actually it's something else going on. She's already done him a big favor. He's about to ask for another favor. Can, I, can we come and treat your house like a hotel? So before he goes to the second bigger favor, he's like, you know, it's time for a present. Right? So he gives her the present first, puts the gold ring in her nose and on her wrist and so on. Then he gets to the question, who are you and can we stay? And she is exactly the right person. She comes precisely from Abraham's relatives. If you work it out, she is Isaac's first cousin once removed, which if you want a wife from the family is just about as close as you would want it to be. She is exactly the right person. And she says, yeah, sure, we, we can put up, uh, you know, 10 men and 10 camels, sure, we, we, we can do that. And he starts to worship the Lord immediately. Because when it comes to you that you ought to thank God for something, do it right then. Don't put it off until later. Praise the Lord right then. And don't be concerned about who you're in front of. You have a reason to thank God, thank God. Person wants to talk about it, great. 
He begins to praise the Lord right then. And she runs off to say, oh, we have people coming over. And what we see then is the servant give a great speech. And I'll tell you why it's a great speech, but it's the Lord that made it persuasive. They are all brought in. Again, the focus is on the servant, but the servant brought 10 camels loaded up with valuable stuff. So he's got a bunch of men with him. And they bring them all in and they take care of the camels and they take care, they prepare the food, which was not microwaved, so it took a while. They, they prepare the food. There's considerable preparations being made for this large group that's coming in. And that's because while they know that something's going on, they also know that normally you, you talk over after you've had the food. Right? Have the food, give the guy a break, warm up the relationship a little bit, and then we'll get to business. The servant says, I'm not eating. Business first. And you say, oh, you're an abrupt one. Go ahead. And he begins to speak in a way that identifies himself and grabs their attention. He says, I am Abraham's servant. And for them, that was a bolt out of the blue. What? You mean you are grandpa's long-lost brother's servant? That guy left 70 years ago. He's still alive. Tell us more. What happened to Uncle Abe? This guy, I mean, like, wow. He's, he left a long time ago. Tell us what's going on. He says, the Lord has blessed my master greatly. He's great. He's got flocks and herds, silver, gold, servants, camels, donkeys. Everything people in that part of the world would want to have, he has them all in abundance. And the proof is out in your stable right now. They say, okay. Abraham's old and very rich and doing well. That's great. He goes on to talk about some family news. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore him a son in his old age. And to him he has given all that he has. Oh, well that advances things in our understanding. Okay, there is a very eligible young man back there in Israel. You're saying he's going to be really rich when his father passes on. We got it. He says, my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, but you shall go to my father's house and take a wife for my son. And they think, ah, oh, I thought you were going there, but that is too far, buddy. Servant goes on. I said to my master, the woman might not be willing to follow me. And my master said, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel before you, and it's going to work. But if they don't give her to you, you are free from my oath. And that accomplishes two things. Servant's saying, you know, Abraham says it's going to work, but I'm not taking anybody by force. All be by your consent. Nothing to fear for me. But listen to this, he says. Today I went to that well, and I prayed to the Lord, and I said, Lord, let the woman who comes out, of whom I ask for a drink, and she offers to water all the camels, let her be the one that you've chosen for my master's son. And before I was done praying, Rebecca came out, and she did everything I had prayed for, and she is exactly from the right family. You know the Lord is in it now. Are you going to respond to the hand of the Lord or not? 
you know, if you work your way through it, it's a masterful speech. He gives the necessary information to fill in. He builds the case slowly. You can see where he's going. It's a great speech, but it's God that made it persuasive because it's that divine element that God had worked it out so precisely that he found the needle in the haystack on the first try. That's what makes it persuasive, that the Lord was with him. And so they're stunned. They're just like, the Lord did it. We can't say no. Take her and go. And he seizes his opportunity. He says, done. Here's the dowry. Here's the bride price. Here's presents all around. This, This deal's gone. But of course, they have to eat and sleep. Next day they get up, he's like, all right, let's go. And they say, yeah, we already have your money in our pocket. And the enormity of this is sinking in, that we're going to put her on a camel to go away and we'll never see her again. And she's marrying some guy we have never seen. Give us 10 days, which is a suspiciously round and vague number, which could easily turn into forever. plays the Lord card again. Hey, the Lord's prostrated me. Don't slow me down. And they say, let the young woman decide, which is exactly what he envisioned at the beginning. He envisioned at the beginning, what if the woman doesn't want to go? Because even in the societies that arrange marriages, the young people still get a veto. And here it is. It comes down to her choice. She can say yes or she can say no. Now, what do we know about Rebecca? We've been told that she's very beautiful, which means she doesn't have to be desperate about getting married. She can marry somebody local. We know that she is alert, hospitable, hardworking. And now we learn the most important thing of all, that she has a decisive faith. She heard the speech. She says the Lord's hands in it. So I will go. Like Abraham, about to be her father-in-law. Abraham, the Lord had said to him, leave your father's house, leave your country, go to the land that I will show you. Rebecca says, I will leave my father's house. I will leave my country. And I will go to the land that the Lord has shown me. And I will inherit those blessings and those promises that God gave to Abraham. In fact, I will be a key means by which those promises come to fruition. And I will be part of God's plan in the world. We see her staying active to the end. They get close. She sees a man in the field. She jumps down. Who is that? That's the man you're going to marry. She puts the veil on. Evidently, their wedding garb was more modest than normal, not less. And Isaac takes her into his mother's tent where she had been living. In the previous chapter, she had died and was buried. Takes her into his mother's tent. There's a woman there once again. And so God preserved his chosen people. Because the promise given to Abraham and Sarah was now resting solely on Isaac. He needed a woman to complete those promises. He needed a woman so that they could be fruitful and multiply and have descendants like the sand of the seashore. And this lengthy chapter recounts how the one woman came to be united to the one man. Which shows us that we are to honor marriage. 
Catechism question 10.5. What is marriage? Marriage is a covenant of lifelong faithfulness between one man and one woman for their mutual help and for the bearing and raising of children. Marriage is an honorable estate that Jesus blessed when he did his first miracle at a wedding. God designed marriage, and he intends for it to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and Christ's church. Which reminds us that Jesus is a much more powerful and a better husband than Isaac. Isaac in this chapter does everything he's supposed to do. He passively receives the woman that the servant brings from over the horizon. The servant brings her and says, this is what daddy told me to do, and this is what I did. And Isaac says, okay. And he marries her. He does what he's supposed to do. I'm not faulting him. He has a passive role in this chapter. But the Lord Jesus, he came for us. The Lord Jesus came into the world. He did the servant's job of going at great distance, going at great expense, going at great cost and suffering to himself. For he didn't have to do some negotiation with somebody else's money. He had to pay his own blood to purchase us for himself. And we, we may like to think that we also are very beautiful. But spiritually, none of us comes to the Lord very beautiful. We come with spots and wrinkles and blemishes that Jesus washes away from us. Jesus is the groom of the church. And while Isaac is fine here, Jesus is a great and a mighty bridegroom, bringing us to himself at great cost to himself. If you have not put yourself in the hands of Jesus Christ, you will find no better Savior. For he loved you before you ever loved him. He died for you before you ever knew him. You will find no Savior, no leader, no teacher like Jesus Christ. I call you to have a decisive faith, like Rebecca. So as we've seen, God preserved his chosen people by bringing together one woman and one man. May he build up this church with many such marriages. May we alertly entrust ourselves to God's plan whenever he sets it out before us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you promise and you deliver that you hear prayers and you honor them. We thank you that you have designed marriage and that you call us to honor it. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this congregation, that you would watch over them and protect them. Lord, I pray for the wedding which is to be, that you would watch over these young people, that you would bless them and bless the marriage that they enter into. And Lord, help us to remember that this is not the sum total of our hopes and dreams, to be married. But rather, you've designed this to be a picture of how you are bringing people from all around the world to be your people and to bring them into union with yourself forever. And so, Lord, we pray, and we pray as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.